Hello, and welcome to the She's Heard podcast. My name is Emily Jennings, and you found the place where extraordinary, everyday people from different professions and walks of life share about how they found their voice and are using it to speak up and create meaningful change. Today, I'm speaking with ritualist, musician, activist, and yogi, Suzanne Sterling. Suzanne has been performing and teaching transformational workshops for over 20 years. She is the founder of Voice of Change, inspiring people to find their unique voice as a tool for conscious evolution. Suzanne has been featured at hundreds of international festivals and conference centers, including Yoga Journal, Omega, Esalen, Wanderlust, Bhakti Fest, Earth Dance, and many more. Since 2007, she has been training leaders in activism and social justice through her co-founded organization, Off the Mat, Into the World. As director of Off the Mat's SIVA Challenge Humanitarian Tours, which raised over $4 million, she has spent time in the U.S., India, Cambodia, Haiti, Ecuador, and Africa, working in community resilience and raising awareness about critical global issues. In addition to her work with Off the Mat, she offers year-long trainings in sacred leadership. She is a guest teacher in numerous yoga teacher trainings and is excitedly training facilitators in her signature Voice of Change work. She's released five solo albums and numerous DVD soundtracks. Go to SuzanneSterling.com to learn more and stay connected. In this episode, we talk about the intricate connection between yoga and self-expression and how yoga can be a force for social change. We talk about why it's so important and terrifying for us to use our voices, as well as the power of ritual and how we're hardwired for self-expression in community. We touch on leaderless movements, the pitfalls of hero worship, and the transformation that can happen when embodiment practices are combined with science and psychology. Suzanne reminds us of how everyone has the right to sing and everyone has sound inside of them. We talk about colonialism and the injunction of self-expression in our bodies. We talk about what creativity requires of us, the challenge of receiving, and the fear and freedom of transparency around money and sex. So buckle up. Here's our conversation. I love it. I love it too. And this is like the most favorite conversation in the world to yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. So, and you've been doing this for so long. I have. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Before it was um, in the popular meme, for sure. I was doing, I, I've been the person making people do really uncomfortable stuff for a long time. <laughs> and how did that start? Um you know, it, I, I've had a I've had a strange life. Meaning, um, I had a lot of chaos as a child. There was alcoholism and abuse in my childhood. A lot of moving. A lot of different kind of um, family iterations. And at the same time, um, some really interesting, empowering pieces from a very young age. Meaning, my mom brought us to co counseling starting when I was ten. So I was in deep in community and deep in transformational emotional processing from an early age. I started out in the theater, which is happens to a lot of people who feel like they don't have a voice, then go into performing. So I did that for many years. And interestingly, when I moved from the East Coast to California, I found an award-winning alternative school. And at that school, we were, we were studying world religions, subatomic physics, philosophy, you know, altered states of consciousness. It was it was a profound awakening for me, that school, and I found, again, I found it at a very young age, and I was living by myself in this little cabin. How old were you? 16. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and, um, the, where, and where was this at? In Mendocino. Okay. It's not there anymore, but mm-hmm. it was there, so that had a profound effect on me, and then um, moved into 
um, moved to San Francisco to go to college and found a whole body of activists and people who were doing ritual for social change. So one of my main mentors is a woman named Starhawk who's an eco-activist and um, just profound uh, ritualist. And so that happened simultaneously with starting a music career. So my music career started in sort of like political folk music. That was the first music that I was doing. And then that's how I, that's what led me to to music festivals and at that same time I started studying yoga and this was early early days in, of, of yoga in the states and that's how I got involved with I mean there was a there was a time in LA where the yoga community was in its nascent stages and it was um, it was very it was a very profound part of the culture at the time and what happened was that seeded a, a, a whole explosion of yoga, and that's where I met um, Sean and Sean Corn and I started doing workshops together in Mexico, and that's where we met one of the first people who was a recipient of our um, Seva Challenge. When we when we the first year we did the Seva Challenge, we went to Cambodia to work with someone that who had studied with us. And she, you know, over the years, she introduced me to Hala. Hala and I wrote the first curriculum together. Sean came back into the fold. We found it off the mat at that point. And this whole time, I had been doing music festivals that were starting to become yoga music festivals. And slowly over time, I started being asked to do ritual at the festival. So I was teaching yoga classes and performing and offering ritual. And 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 so. All these weird streams <laughs> that didn't feel connected came together in some really in a really fascinating way for me, where I was like, "Oh, yoga and and self-expression are are intricately connected. Self-expression is part of what is medicinal for us, part of what's missing in our culture, part of what's making people sick. It's you know, social justice not only has been part of my ancestry, like I come from a long line of progressive activists, but it was a huge part of why I was doing ritual and why I was doing art. And so all these streams came together and that's when I founded Voice of Change. Um, and again, like when I started, when I was first doing sound work in yoga spaces and ritual work in yoga spaces, people were like, oh, this is too weird. And then all of a sudden it started being more and more important for people. And I'm really, I'm really glad that those worlds came together, particularly all of the social justice work that I've been doing, anti-racism, feminist, social and environmental justice work could be married, via off the mat, could be married to this thing called yoga, which was taking over in our culture. And it could have gone either way. I think now it's right, it's at a tipping, another tipping point again, but for the last 11 years, you know, watching the yoga community go from a community of people who just are interested in health and healing to being actually a force for change and, and bringing these healing modalities, yoga and others, into places where people would really need those resources um, and, and changing the face of the activist culture by bringing some, some depth of community, I'll just say, and self-care. Like, I feel like we've, been, we've had a big impact and and I'm really happy about that because I wouldn't still be able to be in the yoga community if that hadn't happened it just it, it would be too disingenuous to me mm -hmm. you know when yoga becomes something that we just you know um, buy and sell I, I'm, I'm not interested in it I'm interested in it as a force for social change so so that's kind of my that's that's kind of my journey and it's been very strange and many times 
people have not known what to do with me, <laughs> not known how to categorize me. I haven't known how to categorize myself. But I've been, you know, luckily I was set up with enough tools to be like, I'm just going to be me and do my thing and hope that it has relevance. And, and I believe that right now is the perfect time to be doing what I'm doing. And I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of things to say about what, why it's so important for us to learn how to use our voices and why it is so hard, so powerful, so terrifying for so many people. Like when I start that work, I'm like, I know that this seems very innocuous. We're just, you know, we're moving, we're singing, maybe we're, maybe we're, you know, doing things that are weird and outside the box. But what happens when we really tap into our authentic expression is d the deepest grief because we, it's so missing from our culture. Our culture is missing ritual that's meaningful, that brings us to places where we can express, that brings us to places where we feel deeply. We just don't have access to it in our culture. So what is ritual? I think people are afraid of it. I yeah. think we have you know, cultural overlays about what it means. To me, ritual is um, creating sacred transformational experiences that build community, that alter our consciousness without any you know, substances, but that alter our consciousness. So away from, away from separation, away from um, overwhelm, away from distraction. Ritual are times and places where we can come together as a community and feel grief feel celebration, feel sorrow, feel rage, feel terror, feel joy. Mm -hmm. And that I always say in my work, human beings are hardwired for self-expression, but not by ourselves. We're actually hardwired for self-expression in community. That's ritual. Anytime we come together and build purposeful, meaningful, focused experiences as community that include some kind of expression, that's ritual. That's the simplest way I can put it. And so it doesn't have to be this woo-woo, scary thing. It's actually natural and normal for him. What's not normal or not natural to us is to be isolated, to try and deal with our traumas and our experiences by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And indigenous cultures, all of them had ritual. And what did they do? You know, times and places for humans to come together and feel and express and be in what I call the mythopoetic realm. The mythopoetic realm is not our rational thinking brain. It's the part of us that's emotional. It's the part of us that's artistic. It's the part of us that's creative. It's the part of us that knows that this life is precious. And it's profound. And if we don't remind ourselves of that over and over again, we just live in this sort of like haze or this sort of like shut down space, right? Zombies. Like zombies. Numb. Walking zombies, around. Numb zombies. Because we're feeling yeah. too much. And the only thing to do with too much feeling is to shove it down. I like, to, I like to give people the science behind sound healing and why it's so important for us to use our voices. And there is science to it. For instance, uh, because, of the, because sound is a physical thing, it actually moves matter. So it's profound in that way. But what happens is when, when sound waves or any waves for that matter match up and find what's called sympathetic resonance, the whole vibrational pattern is amplified. And this goes from the smallest vibrational pattern to the biggest. That means, again, if you extrapolate that out to human beings, when human beings come together and they express, especially through making their own sound because it's moving matter from the inside out, something greater than the sum of its parts gets created. So there's an amplification. So humans are supposed to come together and sing and move and express. That's what we're supposed to do because it strengthens the whole field of the life force itself. And it's revolutionary, right? This is why the powers that be like to keep people separated and why, why they actually even legislate against 
humans coming together in you know in groups because there's power there right yeah and so the powers that be want us to be silenced want us to be not have a voice want us to be disempowered want us to be disconnected and my work is about connecting expressing and feeling the power of that and not shying away from it but what happens is when we ask people to do that it brings up all of the perhaps times in their own lives when they were silenced it brings back all of the DNA stuff right all the stuff that we carry in us the, the stories that were silenced the stories that people weren't allowed to embody or live into the truths that people couldn't tell in our in our historical line and 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 even some people have had really strong past life memories of, of having been silenced and so we're carrying this legacy let's just talk about women mm-hmm. for you know 4,000 years of the silencing of the female voice if not more mm-hmm. and you know there were cultures where the female voice was I, I believe a lot more expressed we'll just say especially you know women stepping into positions of spiritual authority and we just don't see that now mm-hmm. in, in the same way mm-hmm. we've been you know we've been, we've been pushing against the door of patriarchy and especially religious patriarchy for centuries mm-hmm. so women feel that mm-hmm. and so any woman who finds her voice is is perhaps feeling all of the the collective injunction against that you know even with like I'll tell you that when I first started doing the voice of change classes I effing knew I knew how powerful it was and I felt it in my own body and the first time I taught I I was I I felt all those forces those energetic forces wanting to to silence me and I had to just work and work and work I cried and cried I went on long walks like I had to work against it and I've been doing this work for a long time and it just reminded me like this is what people feel when they step into that place when they find their voice when they know there's a truth they have to speak when they're going against everything that everyone's telling them to you know to shut up and not speak and for many people it really is dangerous like I don't I don't take this work I don't take my work lightly at all at all I understand how terrifying it is because I have that same terror mm-hmm. so and we're seeing it right now. We oh see it God. everywhere, right? I mean, so yeah. many women in, 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 you know, right now with this, with Dr. Ford coming forward with the Kavanaugh Senate Judiciary Committee hearings, I think she knew what she was doing. I think she said, I'm willing to, to be this voice for a lot of women. And what's interesting to me is not just her voice rising, but there that there are collective voices rising. And that, that is fascinating to me because... In the, because in the past we've had sort of like hero voices, we could definitely use some shiro voices. Like we need we need those for sure. But we also need collective voices, and there are collective voices rising. There are what's called you know there you know Me Too and Times Up are calling themselves leaderless movements, and <clears throat> Black Lives Matter even too to that to a certain extent. Leaderless movements, mm-hmm. yeah. And we need that um, because. What that does, and this is this has been part of my work with the rituals that I've worked with, the social active, activist rituals I've, ritualists I've worked with, and off the mat is the structures that have one leader that are you know vertical leadership where you have to step over everyone else to get to the top. Those are the structures that are damaging, and the, the structures of collaboration, the structures of sharing power, we're not taught in our culture. This is why we. We're so strongly committed to it at Off the Mat, and, and, in, and in the again, in the ritual work I do, it's always about sharing power. It's always about uplifting all voices, or at least having all voices be heard, because what that does is it creates a very different 
structure. It creates a structure with lots more integrity, lots more longevity. It creates a structure of you know the wisdom of the collective as opposed to the wisdom of just one or two individuals. It prevents us from having the kind of hero worship that our culture is built upon and predicated upon that is also really dangerous for the people in positions of power because they get all the projections of the, of the you're the hero shiro. They also get torn down eventually, usually. So it goes against almost everything that our culture is built on. <laughs> mm-hmm. I believe that that is the that is the future. I believe that um, collective collectives of humans coming together to learn how to work together, to learn how to have conversations across difference, to learn how to share power is crucial to our evolution. And that includes that includes ritual, that includes expression, that includes art, that includes voices, that includes remembering the ways in which we build community isn't just having conversations with each other it's actually being in being in a state of the sacred together it really needs that but again it's like a way of it's a state of being being. almost outside of verbal communication exactly and it's and and that's my work like i can talk all day about sound healing i can talk all day about the voice but my work is really about getting people out of their heads and into their whole expressive selves and something very profound happens when that happens i can't describe it i've just been in it so many times that i've seen people break through so many barriers just by giving themselves permission to be an expressive artistic creative which is our birthright human animal you know not just i am a i'm a brain walking around in this body but but like no this the whole instrument has to be engaged that's when things shift that's why having access to the embodiment resources that we have today is so profound right mm-hmm. even in the psychological realm you know the the fact that there is somatic experiencing the fact that there is yoga and mindfulness and all these embodied practices that are being married to the 12 steps to psychology to philosophy that's crucial it's a crucial crucial piece that's been missing right there was separation from all of those and now it's like no 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 this the the whole the whole instrument needs to be involved in the process. And again, that's where my work comes in and it's, it feels weird to people. Like it feels weird to be like, you know, it feels silly. It's, it's, it is childlike. There is play involved, but the play, the play part of us is directly connected to the most spiritual part of us. They're, intricately connected so what about folks who are like oh i can't sing (laughs) or i can't dance yeah you know and that comes i think it comes from like early shaming oh for sure around absolutely well acting wrong yeah being wrong absolutely and and one of the things that i always ask everywhere i go whether i'm teaching or performing is i always say how many people in this audience or in this participation piece how many of you were told at some point that you could not or should not sing and I've been doing this for 10 years, and it's always 80 to 90% of the room, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And I've been to other places in the world where cultures are still in place where the first thing that happens is singing and dancing. That's the first thing that happens. And no one in those situations has ever come up to me and been like, I can't really sing. But everywhere I go in Western culture, people say that. And so, um, I am here to say I've never met anyone who cannot sing. I, I have I have known people who aren't familiar with their instrument, and that's very different. Ah, right? oh, that's brilliant. Very, very different. Yeah. Everybody has the right to sing. Everybody can sing. Everyone has sound inside them. 
and so we so part of what we have to do is kind of like take away that that fear of of sounding bad right so one of the first things i often do is just get people to make stupid bad sounds so that they just get that out of their system like it's it is embarrassing and it isn't going to sound great right away and it doesn't matter Kid, five-year-olds don't care like they wake up and, and they're like, la, 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 I'm going to sing about cereal. And yeah. they just have fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, adults, we just, we just, we just, we have this perfectionistic kind of, I think, I think what I think is it's bound to colonialism. So colonialism says whatever is <clears throat> wild, whatever is natural, whatever is um, primal is bad, Right. Um, whatever is wild. We have to control nature. We have to control people of color. We have to control women. We have to control what is essentially what we're afraid of. That includes self-expression. So to me, the injunction against self-expression is colonialism in our bodies. So part of what, part of what my work is doing is, you know, sort of re-indigenizing re ourselves to our nature, which is primal and wild and isn't always pretty and doesn't always sound good. Like my work isn't about like making nice sounds. It's not, it's about making any sound at all mm -hmm. because all sounds are good. Mm -hmm. Me moving anger through my body is as important and through my voice is as important as me moving joy and celebration through. And it's, I can't get to the one without the other. That is so big because especially as white women, we have s so much shame and oppression around anger. Oh my God, so, so much. And, and when you start to realize, I'll speak, when I start to realize the level of rage and anger, it's terrifying because yeah. it feels all consuming yeah. and it feels like there's no end. Yeah. And then the moment other women who look like me, I can't tell you the number of times I've had other petite blonde women come tell me, you really need to do something about that rage. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. You need to do something. You need to do something about that. Like you need to get a handle on that. That's wow. not, that's not love and light. That's not <sighs> that, that you need to control your, oh! your aura. Right. <sighs> and so that just makes me more furious. Of course. So there's a balance between, okay, I feel this rage. I have an impact on those around me. Yes. I don't want to stifle it, uh -uh. but I also don't want to cause more damage. Yeah. I th it's so learning to speak up is a practice. It's, it's, yeah, it's, but here, here's what I have to say about okay. that. I, I, I actually feel like there's a process here. Yes. And the process mm -hmm. is release first, right? I'm not going to be an effective communicator if I've got all this emotional charge, right? I need some of my anger to be clear, to make clear statements. But if I've really got rage, I actually need to move that energy through my body before I go and have the conversation that is the conversation I want to have, right? So I look at it like the four R's. First mm -hmm. is release, and release is about, it's like rinsing, right? So, um, you know, Sean and I had a therapist for a long time who had an anger room. We would get sent into the anger room. It had padded walls and a tennis racket, right? I've done <laughs> anger work in the woods with some mm -hmm. of my shamanic teachers where you just go and, and, and like hit sticks of wood against trees. Um, I've done a lot of anger work. I think it's really important. Another reason why ritual is so important for us is to move that energy through and not be afraid of it or ashamed of it. In fact, many cultures had women in charge of the keening, grieving, wailing around death. That was our job. Yeah. We were supposed to make that sound. But anyway, moving the energy mm -hmm. through. Then regulating. Regulating means you know finding grounding, finding centering, right? Mm -hmm. Then reaching out and making making mm -hmm. repair is what I call, right? Or 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 connection. 
And I don't think we have to do anything with our anger. I think we have to actually feel it deeply, honor it, because again, many women were told, you sh you, it's okay for you to cry, but don't be angry. You're a, you're a bitch. You're a, I've been called a bitch a million times because I'm angry too. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of anger mm -hmm. and I'm not ashamed of it. I actually think it's useful. I think that, I think it's an appropriate response to the world today, often. And anyone who says that's too dark or too, um, whatever, not love and light enough, it, it doesn't interest me. It, it really doesn't interest me. And I think it's I think it's actually a privileged point of view. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I've been told, oh, your message is too dark. It's too intense. You're too much. My whole life, mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, no, actually, no. I actually don't feel that way. And I feel like turning it up actually right now is an important piece. But I'm, I don't want to also hurt people around me. I also don't want it to, want it to be uh, harmful to others. I actually want to feel it, move it through so it's not eating me up from the inside right. out. But that I have an appropriate, um, I hesitate to use that word, I have a, a clear way because appropriate is, could be misconstrued. I have a clear way of communicating, this is not okay. And it's okay if, if, if you think that my message is too much, but this is not okay. I mm -hmm. take a stand here. Mm -hmm. Here's where I take a stand. And yes, I'm angry and upset about it. Yes. And you can be afraid of me if you want. So how do your rituals work? Like, especially, I wish I would have known about, like, kind of rituals, especially around... Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, like Trayvon Martin, yeah. and when all those kids got shot, yeah. it seemed like in the same week. Mm -hmm. It's like well, we need grief rituals. Yeah, we do. You know? Yeah, we do. And grief rituals um, are a long tradition in mm -hmm. many many cultures. You know, Song Bufu Sume, before she died, was doing grief rituals here Who's in that? the West. She was a she and her husband Maladoma Sume. They, they were split, but they were both um, writers and ritualists. I can't remember which country they were from, but they they came to the states and started doing. They both have books, and they've done incredible work. She died, but she was holding grief rituals. Mm -hmm. It was a long tradition in where she came from. I do think we need grief rituals. I think that's a big part. It's just coming together and letting people tell their story of grief and feel their grief and have it be okay and create a sacred context for it. And to me, you know, ritual is not one thing. It's actually having a number of tools in my toolbox to be able to go in. There are some things that, that, are, that, are, that are helpful for ritual, um, you know, grounding, making connection, creating sacred context. But within ritual, lots of different things can happen. As I said, you know, you could, do, you could hold a grief ritual, you could hold an anger ritual, you could hold a ritual with just letting people tell their stories and being heard. You could hold a ritual that is, the people that I, my mentors and, and colleagues um, in ritual often bring ritual to protests mm -hmm. because protests can be very divided, very intense, very scary. And the minute you bring the sacred into a situation like that, it can diffuse some of the, some of the divisiveness. It can bring people together in a situation. Um, it can, cre it can create a, a moment of focus for people to really feel seen and heard in a certain way. You know, I've done a lot of ritual that's focused on helping us feel not only how intense it is right now and, mm -hmm. and focus on the grief, the rage, the sorrow, but also to stay inspired, yeah. to connect with source, to connect with, you know, the energies that we need help with, whether it's the energy of the ancestors or the energy of particular deities who are just energetic signatures anyway, to connect with stories from the past that give us hope, that keep us moving forward connect with each other to just say, I got you, I see you. And, that, and to hold joy too and amidst hold joy. 
the that's suffering. Right. That's right. And to yeah. vision a future, yeah. right? That to me, that's the most exciting thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm all for for feeling the intensity of the moment. I'm all for you know connection. But for me, one of the most powerful uses of ritual and ways in which I've worked with ritual with my community for many years is like, what is the world that we do want to live in? Yeah. How do we articulate that? Yeah. How do we create a vision for that? What would it look like? And we need that. We need visionaries, right? So many times in our social justice, we're just having to like block the bad things and try and stay connected when a whole other piece of it is like, well, what if these structures and these ways of being aren't working, what actually does work? How can we create something that has never been created before? And that's the other piece of voice of change and the work of the voice is if we if we never express ourselves, if we've never been given permission to express ourselves, we're, we're not going to tap into our creativity. Creativity requires that we allow what's inside to come out of us. It requires that we be heard and seen. It requires that we trust our own voice. It requires that we make mistakes. And that's really hard for a lot of people. I know it's hard for me as an artist. You know, I've had moments in my life where I completely lost my voice as an artist. And you know, had writer's block and had people tell me I was doing it wrong. And, um, and it's, it's hard to come back from that. But I, th- I think if we're going to create any kind of world, we have to start thinking outside the box. We have to think in ways we've never thought before. And I think self-expression, um, it like un- it unleashes that. What do you think is the biggest block to people even starting being willing to do something like voice of change or something that helps them find their voice? Terror. Yeah, just <laughs> I mean, I, it's so interesting. I am, I'm still trying to figure out how to talk about my work in ways that don't terrify people. Mm-hmm. Because I know that once people step in, I, I try and bring as much scientific information and play into it as possible so that, that, so that, it's, a, so that it's a gentle process for people. Because it can be an intense process for people, but I want it to be—I want it to be as gentle as possible as they're as they're taking that first step. But a lot of people are just—they—they they, they feel like you. It's like, oh, if I tap into that thing that I'm feeling, it'll just go on forever. I'll never, I'll never—it's never going to end. And it's like, no, it will. And part of what you want to do is find an avenue for that expression. And I and so I get a lot of letters from people who are like, I'm I'm terrified. And yet when they go through the process, they're like, that was so liberating i know i know that just past the wall of resistance is connection joy liberation i mean it's profound and i'm not saying that just because it's my work i'm Mm -hmm. saying it just because of that's what happens when people Mm -hmm. sing together and use their voices together and tell their truth together it just is automatic but the terror is so i mean it, it it's it's visceral it's visceral and all i can say is there's power there, right? So one of my teachers always says, where there's fear, there's power, right? The the thing I fear the most, which is being seen and heard, is the place I need to go because that is where the power is. So I understand and there's nothing I can say that to make it easier except that it can be joyful too. Like there's a lot about it that's really fun, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, And funny and silly and... And human beings are also hardwired for play. Like we're supposed to just kind of like use our bodies and our voices for fun. And we it kind feels of like lost, home. Yeah, we kind of yeah. lost lost sight of that too. So yeah. some of my mm-hmm. some of my some of the ways that I feed myself is I have gatherings that I go to and, and communities that I work with where play is 
highly regarded as as a spiritual path, you know. And some of my favorite activists. Oh, <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Play is highly regarded as, as a, a spiritual, spiritual path. path. What does that even mean? It means like it means like <laughs> I like to hang out with people who mm-hmm. are creative and who you know know how to improvise sing together know how to dance together know how to make up things together know how to play with children know how to you know just create fun that's that is joyful and innocent in a way some of my favorite activists are the people who bring the joy bring you know they'll they'll come into an, an intense you know activist moment or or moment at a protest and start drumming and singing and being silly and it just boom things shift mm mm-hmm. Now I'm a little bit more serious than that, obviously, mm-hmm. but but I try and bring as much joy into into it as possible because I think it's a it's a pathway for people who are terrified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From your perspective, with all the training and your line of work and artistry and creation, what do you think is happening right now? Like, because right now we're in the middle of, like, collectively. <laughs> there's like there's the personal yeah. work mm-hmm. and there's collective work mm-hmm. and I'm and amongst many others are trying to bridge that yeah. one of my goals and hopes for she's heard is that people can hear themselves and and because we hear ourselves and other people right absolutely so it's important to have a variety of where people come from in that so that a variety of people can hear themselves in it. Yeah. From your perspective, what do you think is happening on the level of individual for white women? Mm-hmm. Like I have thoughts about it, but I'm curious yeah. as to what do I think is happening for us? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think especially white women are, are, it's a reckoning. It's like, and there's a lot of terror around even waking up to notice what's happening in your body yeah. when something is deeply off yeah. and you have to speak up mm-hmm. when you're, Security, consistency, yeah. livelihood, all of that is on the line. Yeah. And I think more and more white women are being called to confront that than ever before. Yeah. Um, because the impact of that is obviously on them, yeah. but it's also on others as well. Yeah. If if we don't do that. So there's like the individual work yeah. that's directly tied to collective mm-hmm. work as well. It's complicated yeah. right now. Yeah. Um I think that we everybody on the planet needs to do personal healing work. That's crucial if we if we just go out and try and change the world without really looking at our own motivations and our own wounds and our own coping mechanisms we're just going to be mostly ineffective or and or short term um so that's key but it's not the only thing and i think a lot of i will say privileged folks have had the opportunity to do that work for a while and they're just waiting till they get perfect or something perfect circumstances they're though the time to act is now I think taking risks is crucial. I think what's happening for, as you said, for white women, especially, is, not me, because I don't live this way at all, but but like, I think what's happening for a lot of white women is like you said, the, the structures that have held us safe are, are needing, to be, needing to be shattered. That is to say, I mean, I, I'm guessing, again, I, this isn't really my realm, but I'm guessing that a lot of white women are being supported by men and that that if we're really going to take down patriarchy and destructure it that a lot of women would have to really look at what is security and step into power in a way that is scary right like it's, it's in some ways it's easier to be like i'm just i just want to be taken care of and i'm going to do this personal work and i'm not going to really step out into the world 
I think for those of us that are stepping out in the world and stepping into positions of power and finding our voice, we also are really looking at the ways in which we've been complicit in the silencing of um, black and brown voices and, and, and all marginalized voices, we'll just say. So again, for me, as someone who's, who's a proponent of finding that voice, I've also been saying lately, like we need to also find ways to, 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 to shut up and listen really well and to find ways to support voices that haven't been heard and help to find opportunities and avenues for those voices, right? So I would love to shut up and hear the black women talk right now and just step into positions of power and be, be really heard in a deep way. But, I, but that doesn't mean that I don't think that there's a lot of white women's voices that also need to be heard as well. So it's going to be a balance. It's going to be a tricky thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and black and brown men too, right? That Those voices that have been really oppressed, mm-hmm. right? So it's tricky because there's all these layers of, of wanting to, to listen and make space. And yet also there's still this work for women to do to step into mm-hmm. positions of power and step into places where they're willing to speak up and speak out. Yeah, it's tricky. It is it's tricky. It's a very tricky place to land. And I think watching white men do it has been hilarious. You know, I'm thinking of like Louis C.K. And, and his response to the sexual allegations against him was like, yes, that happened. And yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen. I'm going to shut up and listen. And he, he was quiet for a year. And then he's making his comeback now, which I love Louis C.K. I thought he was very funny. But it's like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. One year is not what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. So how do we depower ourselves in positions where that is uh, complicit in the structures that are that are you know silencing some voices and not others, and yet at the same time how do we empower ourselves to speak in in the places where we need to do that, and how do we find the balance in all of that? And I have no idea. <laughs> but all I'm doing, yeah. like for myself, yeah. is I'm. I, I don't have a lot of security. I'm, I'm not in a relationship. No one's paying for me. I'm, st- I'm having to keep doing, you know, the single female on her own thing, mm-hmm. which is challenging, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm constantly up against um, financial restraints, we'll just say, or constraints. And because a lot of what I do is, is um, by donation, I, it's, it's just, you know, the financial thing is hard for me. And I know it's hard for a lot of women. Especially in like artists, musicians. Oh my God. Almost everything Spiritual I do. work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and running nonprofits. Right. Like, mm-hmm. it's, I live on next to nothing and I, you know, I don't own anything. I live out of a suitcase. That's, that's the risk that I'm taking mm-hmm. and I'm doing it because I feel really, I'm not willing to, to, to do anything else. Like I want to find as many, as many ways for me to be effective as possible. And I'm also really interested in using some of my privilege and my platform to, to shut up and listen well, and to also find ways to uplift other voices. One way that I heard it explained really well is, um, that in the spaces where it feels comfortable to talk a lot, to stop and to yeah. listen more. Yeah. And in the spaces where it's more comfortable to just be quiet and hang out on the edges, yeah. to, you need to speak up more. That's great. So depending on the that. context, right? Absolutely. So it's like when I'm with the <laughs> the, the patriarchs in my family yeah. where I'm trained yeah. to be quiet and to hold my tongue and to not call them on their shit, then I need to speak up. Yes. And when I'm with a group of women and I feel really emboldened and I want to talk the whole time, to shut up and let other people who aren't as comfortable speaking up to speak up. Yeah. 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 
so to notice that within why, myself. Yeah. That's why the collaborative um, process is so important because what it teaches us, if we do it right, um, and I'm talking about like collaboration in creating movements or creating projects or creating businesses or anything, the collaborative process says, and this comes from you know a lot of activist work, many, many years of consensus process work and collaborative work, what it says is that every voice is important. And when every voice is heard, there is more stability to the structure because there's more buy-in. And businesses are starting to learn this. Uh, again, I've been doing that work within ritual settings with, with you know ritual colleagues for many, many years. All the work is co-created. All the work is co-facilitated. Consent, all the decisions are made consensus process. Off the mat runs that way too in many ways, although we're kind of a hybrid. What happens in those structures is we really we really get a sense of who who is going to take up more space, and and we and we really like actually call that out, and really hear from people who we would traditionally devalue, right? Our culture is built on like I'm going to pick this one person out, we're going to showcase them as the as the person who is the person in leadership, and if we don't do that, what does it look like? What does it look like to have everyone in leadership? That's how move, strong movements are built. But it's, it goes against everything, like like um, just one example, and there's many, many, especially with Off the Mat, where we were co-teaching, when we first started teaching at Wanderlust, we were co-teaching classes, because that's our model. And um, the first couple of years, they would they would have you know one person's name, but leave, it, leave the other two teachers' names off. And I finally called them, and I was like, what's going on? And they were like, our software only lets us put one teacher's name in. And I put up such a stink that they actually changed it. But it was like that, even down to that, like they weren't expecting co-teaching to happen. That just didn't happen. And now it happens all the time. But it was very, quote unquote, groundbreaking at the time because it was like, who does that? But what it does is it points out, oh, this is where I'm comfortable. This is where I'm not comfortable. And it allows, it, it, it pushes people who don't speak to actually find their voice. Wow. So it's it's a big, it's a big peace and it's and it's not easy right it's in some ways it's so much easier to just be like i'm in leadership and i'm going to say what what goes mm-hmm. and i'm making those decisions and y'all just do what i say mm-hmm. versus in collaboration not everyone gets their way all the time right. and and it's you know it takes longer right it does take longer <laughs> it takes a lot longer <laughs> but that's why with off the mat we've created some some hybrid situations where it's like okay in this instance you get to make these decisions or you too get to make these decisions and we will trust you to do that mm-hmm. whereas so we don't have to have the whole collective making all the decisions all the time what is one of the hardest lessons you've had to learn Oh God! I know that's a really big question. Yeah, yeah. And so take your time. Yeah. One of the big ones that I'm working with right now is is like really trusting, and I and I don't I, I hesitate to say the universe, but like trusting source, trusting. It's hard to describe because I'm 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 deeply. I'm deep. I'm in a deep conversation with source all the time. That's been a, a huge thread for me in my life. And there are ways that I don't trust that I'll be taken care of. Um, because I was forced into a parenting role in my family at a very young age. I moved out of my house when I was 15. I have been on my own ever since. So willpower is really important to me. And yet, you know, I went through menopause three years ago and it really kicked my ass. And one of the things that it did was it, I, I realized like, I have to have a reckoning with myself, with my relationship with Source. I have to really 
come at my life from a different place because I've been in a willful sort of believing in struggle and I'm not saying this in a new age way of, of like just trust the universe and everything will come to you but I am saying that for me having a little bit more of that has been has been amazing like me the work for me the hardest thing for me has been to learn how to receive hmm. I'm all good with giving I'm all good with with creating and making shit happen and willing things to happen not that it's made all my dreams come true because it hasn't it hasn't I'm not one of those people who's like, I just make intentions and then I make things happen. I'm not one of those people. I've had a lot of dreams die. I have been in a process of learning how to receive gracefully and trusting that I will be taken care of. And that's been really hard. And also, it's what it's what it is right now. Um, I will say another thing that's been really hard for me is um, to see what I was taught love was and then to recreate that over and over again because what I was taught love was 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 having was taking care of other people that that was what that's what I saw even when they're damaging you even when they're harming you taking care of them um staying in situations that are not good and and so I because we recreate our trauma until we heal it I've recreated that over and over and over again in my intimate relationships and that's been so painful to see because I feel mostly really good and powerful but but there's been some some relationships where it's like I completely lost my way and that's even hard to admit but it's true and it's been hard to see oh and and not not just in intimate relationships but in long some long-term even you know friend relationships like oh I give my power away in this really weird horrible way okay all right. Mm-hmm. And so the last, you know, since menopause, which changes everything, I've definitely, I've definitely shifted that in some deep ways. I'm not in an intimate relationship right now. And I think that's helped. It's given me some time to sort of like really heal some of that. And, and we'll see what happens, you know, next. Mm-hmm. But that's been, that's been really hard to feel like, oh my God, I'm empowered in so many ways and to see the ways in which I just hand it over to other yeah, people. Oh, you're not alone in oof. that. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. And the ways in which I still can't find my voice, you know, the times when I've had to 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 speak truth and I've backed off or withdrawn or or apologized or um you know, my my coping mechanism is not to just like is not to to barge through and and be um combative. Some people that's what they do when they feel threatened. Mm-hmm. I back off. I run. I'll save my own ass and run. And just, you know, slowly, slowly not doing that. Slowly, slowly giving myself credit. Well, I stayed in the room. You know, I didn't walk. I didn't withdraw. I stayed there. I was present. That's that's good for me mm-hmm. <laughs> in some situations, you know, in the face of someone else who's combative and confrontive. Mm-hmm. So lots more to go there, and I don't know how... You know, I don't know where I'll get to by the end of my life, but I'm I'm in that for sure. I'm in that piece of like, yeah, I'm I'm willing to, I'm I'm wanting to be in a situation where I can stay in the room <laughs> and speak my truth, and that would be a huge win for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With where you're at now in your life, the mm-hmm. the point you're at now in your life, and looking back, what are you most proud of? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, 
Because owning our gifts and our talents yeah. is just as important as important acknowledging yeah. what's been hardest, right? Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is like, I'm proud that I'm actually pretty joyful. I'm a pretty joyful 53 year old woman, mm-hmm. you know? I have a more freedom than 99.9% of the women on this planet. I'm very aware of that. I'm proud that I have stayed on my own growing edge. I've taken a lot of risks. I feel like I've taken a lot of risks to, to do my work and it hasn't always been easy and I've just stayed current and stayed present with that. I, I like over, I'm proud of some specific projects, but but more than that, I'm proud of the way in which I have been unequivocally me. You know, like in times when it would have been easier to 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 to, to go with with one thing or to stay focused on one thing or to um, to to dial it down, to compromise. Like I just some part of me is just like, nope, not in this lifetime. I'm gonna I'm gonna work through a lot of shit in this lifetime. I'm gonna accomplish a lot. I'm gonna stay current. Like one of the biggest things that I'm working on right now is doing less. And, and honoring that part of myself, yeah. not, and it's hard because all my colleagues are like writing books and getting PhDs and I'm like, and, and people are like, what are you doing with your life? And I'm like, I'm actually trying to be present and do less mm-hmm. because I understand that doing more gets a re- rewarded in our culture, but it's, I don't know if it's great for us to just be on the accomplishment train. And I have found this capacity in my later years to sit still for long periods of time and that I need that. So that's like, that goes against everything I've been taught, everything that I've been rewarded for, everything I've done, everything that the, 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 the communities I'm in want from me. And I'm proud of that because it means I'm staying awake and I'm present to like, what is my next step. And my next step might be less things going on in the world, less momentum, career momentum, whatever that means, and more um, being sitting still in the woods. And that's got to be okay because it is what's happening. Mm-hmm. I don't know I'm going to monetize that or continue to make a living, but that's, but I'm proud of that because yeah. it, it yeah. there's, there's some wisdom in that. And I learned this at a yoga teacher training or a yoga training I did in um, where there are seasons, yeah. right? Yeah. There's winter, which is like stillness, hibernation, and spring slowly starting to wake up. Summer's highly productive, fall's dying down. So there's like to honor that within our lives, yeah. the cycles of that within our lives, where especially in Western American capitalistic culture, it's like supposed to be summer all the time. Yeah. And how do you present yourself on Instagram? And... Right. And it's simply not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. But some people do. Some people have, you know, hired teams who do it for them. And, and I, I'm aware of that. <clears throat> you know, I, the first question I get asked whenever anyone hires me is, how many followers do you have? That's the mm. first question. And, you know, I'd like to go against that grain, and yet that's how I make a living, right? I need to be hired. I need to have a certain amount of visibility. I need to do that because I don't have a team doing it. So as much as I can, I will I will share on, on social media, but I'm also aware of, like, I have to find a balance with the part of me that is actually a hermit, that is actually um, a person who wants to, you know, retire by the sea and, yeah. and, and live with a cat, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, that's not going to happen yet, but it's, it's definitely 
inching its way into my existence. So I'm trying to be an advocate for that, for other women, for other people going through menopause to really deeply look at, of course I want to be a productive part of society, especially now, especially because my work right now is so important to me and I think important mm -hmm. to what's going on in the world. And yet I never want to <clears throat> be in the position where I feel as exhausted as I felt three years ago. I felt completely and utterly spent. Mm. And I just don't want to ever feel that way again. Like I need to find some way to feed myself. In, in and why were you so exhausted? Because I've just been working for, I mean, yeah. I've been All the projects. Since I was 15. Yeah. And I've, I have, I have accomplished a lot. You and have. I have not. Your bio been, is amazing. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't been paid a lot for mm -hmm. what I've done because of the choices I've made. Like musicians don't get paid very much. Mm -hmm. Yoga teachers don't get paid very much unless you're at a particular level. I've chosen to do nonprofit work. I it just within the structure, within the monetary structure we're in, what I've chosen to do has not brought a lot of, you know, um, money to me. Some people that so I work with work have made a lot of money. That's just, they're, it's just different choices. So I, I, I just was working hard for many, many years and I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I love working hard. I love being productive. I love being, being acknowledged for what I do too. But I think I think I just was not resting enough. So now I'm in a, in a phase of like, what is enough rest? Yeah. And sometimes it's like, am I? Is this depression? Because I'm so used to running at a particular pace, and and now that I'm trying to find a different pace, it's like I doesn't feel. It feels awkward. Yeah. And and the people I'm around, and you know some of them, they're like, they have a different they have a different energetic feel than I have. And yeah. what I'm realizing is that I have I'm way more sensitive than I thought. I need way more transition time than I thought because my whole life is transformation and you can't just do that all the time without some just downtime. Right. So I'm learning. I'm learning. And it's, it's real. I am really different than I thought I was. And maybe that's postmenopause. Maybe it's just who I've been the whole time, but I've been sort of bypassing it because I had to. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So yeah, I'm, 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 you know, going back to that question, I'm proud of a lot of the things that I've done and um, I think I have another album before I die that I'll be really proud of if it comes out, I hope it does. But, but I'm, I'm pretty happy that at this point I don't feel bitter, I feel joyful. Mm -hmm. That's an accomplishment. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you've birthed so many projects into this world. Yeah. Yeah, that are continuing to... And that's the that's that's and the, and, yeah. that's the that's the pay the payback. Yeah. I remember a long time ago, a long time ago, somebody was reading my Vedic astrology, and they're like, "Well, you're gonna travel the world, which is true. You're gonna there's gonna be a lot of money that passes through your hands. That's true. It's not gonna be yours, but you'll be giving it out, right? Because with the Save a Challenge, we gave out millions. We raised millions of dollars, and then you know gave it away. And the Save amazing. a Challenge, can you say more about Well, that? with Off the Mat, mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of trainings, um, training yogis to become activists and activists to, 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 to really find foundation for their activism, sustainability for their activism, we'll just say. But we also, for many years, had projects. And one of the projects we had was called the Save a Challenge. And um, we asked yogis to go out into their communities and raise money through not not by giving us a check but by like raising awareness about a particular issue or cause and then building community where they were and so over the course of eight years we raised 
three and a half million dollars and we took people so if 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 you raised twenty thousand dollars you would come on a trip with me and sean corn and we would take you to work on the projects that we were supporting that we worked with organizations in country that have been doing really profound and effective work in country for years so we worked in Cambodia with um, our friend who had founded an orphanage there and handpicked 100 kids from the dump we were in we we did you know microloans in Haiti we did uh, we worked with organizations that were rescuing and rehabilitating sex trafficking victims in India we worked with um, Amazon Watch and those that were conserving the rainforest in Ecuador, et cetera, et cetera. So we did a lot of different things. And I mean, I learned so much from those trips. One of the biggest things I learned is that music is amazing. Music really was a big part of that. I didn't think it was, I didn't think I was going to make music at all in those places, but it turned out like everywhere we went, we were singing with the kids and drumming with them and having ritual with them. And every, nobody was afraid of ritual because it's so, it was so intrinsic in some of the places where we went. I'm proud of that work and it was it was a big part of my life and it was also exhausting and um, I'm I, I at a certain point I was like this it, it stopped being the best use of me to run that program but I'm glad that we did it it was, it was something that uh, you know was was powerful for its time and now I think a lot of people are doing it and there's and there's challenges with it mm-hmm. as you can imagine yeah right we have to really unpack our whole Western savior complex to be doing work in other countries that is actually powerful. The thing I am proud of is that we actually vetted those organizations well. We were working with in-country organizations and supporting their work. We weren't coming in and, and, you know, imposing our agenda on them. We were actually listening to what their agenda was. It was big, but that's really big because a lot of Western organizations don't do that. I know. And we saw that and we kind of, we 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 just kind of like stopped doing it because we wanted to shift it up a little bit, and so um, we're doing something else now, which is which I think is great. But I'm proud of the work that we did. It was it was it worked for 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 what it was and for the timing that it was in the yoga community. Okay, I'm sorry we did a little segue there. Oh. Um, back to your Vedic astrology. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I remember the woman saying like <laughs> that you're gonna, a lot of money is going to pass through your hands, but it won't mm-hmm. be yours, and and I just. She like she was just so profoundly right about all of you know all of that, and I can't remember why I brought it up, but she, there was something else she was saying about about um, you know the course of my life and how it was going to be. Oh, oh, I remember now. So she said the the true abundance of your life is going to be with um, you know receiving information about the lives that you've touched, and that's been like those moments when people write to me and say that work changed my life or that your music changed my life. I've had so many amazing stories, particularly I think around my music, which is really interesting because I don't, I feel like there's so much music that I haven't made yet that, but, but, but I've had some stories. Like I remember one woman pulled me aside once and she said, we sing your music all the time. And when my son was born, we were playing your music and he had all, they had birth complications with him. And, she said, but then she had two other kids and she's like, the family, you know, we sing your music all the time. And, and then she said, um, and, and last week, my son, the one who was born with your music playing died in my arms and we were singing your music as he died. Oh my gosh. And like, I don't, first of all, what do you even do with a story like that? Yeah. And just, yeah. So, so those are the things that keep me going. Those stories where it's like, oh, okay, that, that I better keep going. You know, I yeah. keep doing it. And, you know, there's there's times when I'm like, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to, 
you know, get a get a retail job and <laughs> retire on an island or something. But but stories like that are, um, I mean, what do you what do you do? Yeah, that's you just have to keep going. Yeah, even though you know, especially music music is a, is a really hard way to make a living. But like I said, there's at least one album left in me, and I hope I get a chance to make it. I hope so too. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add about speaking up, being heard? Using your voice for change. Embodying work. Well, I mean, a couple of things. <laughs> I do believe that um, there is an emotional component to the to the finding one's voice. I also believe there is a component of of education, right? Of educating ourselves about things and and, and learning how to articulate well I think you were at the same event where I was where you know Marianne Williamson came out she's such an incredible speaker very articulate has a lot of facts in her pocket right I think those are really important pieces at the same time that I'm advocating being emotional as we speak like like embodying our emotions as we speak I think that's really important I think that's I don't I don't want us to ever just be intellectual speakers because I don't think that works. I don't think people can hear us, but when we embody our voice and our emotional self, then we communicate in a very different way. I also think it's important to to research and to know to know a lot about what we're speaking about, especially if we're speaking in public. And I also think that it's really important for women especially to to step into positions of power and to and to take that risk. To run for office, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of women are doing it in this next election, which is awesome. But I think it's it's time it's time for us to reclaim what the feminine voice is, and I think it's a strong one. And I think it's a I don't I'm not talking about the feminine voice being one thing or another. I think we need lots of there examples. are male bodies that can embody <clears throat> feminine. Oh yeah, well, and I think we sure. need a lot of yeah. examples of what the feminine voice is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I love looking at different uh, cultures where there's where there's female deities and women who are in positions of power because we can learn from them right uh, you know we can learn from you know kali right that's a strong powerful feminine energy that's not apologetic in any way we have you know there's uh, athena we have um, isis uh, yamaya right there's all these different... we have oshun and... oshun there's, yeah. there's there's different faces of the divine and also queer faces of the divine two spirit divine um energies that that can inform not only our spirituality but can inform the way in which we say this voice is important this voice is important this voice is important this particular energy is important it's going to come through me in this way um and i think we um can find different ways to speak like I really I really believe in art for social change I really believe in the power of art for social change so it's not just about speaking out and stepping into political power but actually using our positionality as artists to speak um, and I think that one of the things that Marianne Williamson said in that in that um, talk was she said we need to we need to be better about money like we need to speak about what it what it, and I yeah. I, mean, I don't love talking about my experience with money because I recognize yeah. that some of it is my <laughs> own stuff right I, I I I know that I was taught to be independent I know I was taught to take care of others I know I was taught to give and not receive that's my work and in the culture that we're in so many people are afraid to talk about money and as you and I were talking about before this thing before we started recording 
in the spiritual realms, there's a huge reproduction of the capitalist structures of 1% and 99%. A lot of yoga teachers, a lot of musicians are not getting paid at all. Only the ones that are famous, right? And that's on the studios, that's on the consumers, what we're buying, that's on how we portray people in the media, that's on the festivals and the conference centers. It's all reproducing this great divide between the haves and the haves nots even in our spiritual communities, especially in our spiritual communities. And that is very upsetting to me. And we need to talk about it. And no one's talking about it because we're afraid, mm -hmm. because we don't have leverage, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I co-founded a, a, a spiritual musicians union. We're not calling it a union, it's more like a collective, but it's primarily because no one was saying, why are we all, why are we all doing this for free? What are we, is, this, is this really actually helping us or is it really not helping us? And in what, what other cultures can we look at where the musicians are actually honored financially, where the yoga teachers are honored financially, where the mothers are honored financially, where the caregivers are. And there's this amazing book called The Real Wealth of Nations mm -hmm. written by Rianne Eisler. And she went to some Northern European countries where they actually recalculated the gross national product to include caregivers, mothers, fathers, nurses, teachers, and in honoring, in bringing those people and those jobs into what is considered the wealth of the nation, everything shifted because then there was more resources for them, more financial resources for them, and the, the actual wealth of the country went up because they were honoring what is the voices and the, and the rules that, were, that are traditionally devalued in our culture. So I find that really fascinating. Like, what if we didn't what it, you know what if the arms manufacturers weren't part of the wealth of our nation but the mothers and the teachers and the nurses were yeah it would be a we would have a very different culture yeah it'd be a totally different model yeah totally different paradigm yeah so i'm down for for different uh like having the conversation about how are we getting paid where's mm -hmm. the money going and being because, transparent about that yeah because and that's part of what's disempowering a lot of people especially women especially people of color yeah right it's Interesting how we're more willing to talk about sex than we oh are God. about money. I'll talk about sex all day. Yeah. But yeah, money's hard. And it's hard for me because I'm, I sometimes feel like a failure. Yeah. Right? It has I, to do with I, your worth. It's somehow right. a reflection of your worth. Exactly. And so if you're transparent about that, yep. then, I then am you're unworthy. more vulnerable. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I'm doing the best I can to talk about it, even though I'm, I'm, I have, I mean, I have my own issues and I'm, I'm still willing to say it's not just about me and my issues. It's about the context that we're in mm -hmm. and we can't have a conversation about it. It's another spiritual bypass to say, you just need to do work on your worthiness and your abundance and your, you know, whatever people say in the new age, the whole secret thing and everything. You just haven't looked at it in the right way. I'm sorry, I call bullshit on that. Yeah. Yes, partially that's true, but it's not the whole picture. Yeah. The whole picture is we're in a culture that disempowers many, many people financially. And if we're financially struggling, we are not going to feel worthy of finding our voice. And won't have the bandwidth or space to create. Yep. It's much harder yep. with that chokehold on survival. Much harder. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a lot of my time and energy to, to think about it. Yeah. And to be in when I get into panic. I understand. Yeah. 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 And it's only getting more intense, right? We're, we're, we're seeing more and more of that. I think, I, I mean, I, I've read enough economic books to know that there is a conscious disenfranchisement going on. There's a conscious 
creation of the divide. There's a conscious, it's very there's a conscious, there's an intentional deconstruction of the middle class. Yep. It's happening right now. We're living into it. We're seeing it. And I want, I want us to talk about it. Gulp. Yes. <laughs> Big gulp. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the moments where I'm like, I just want to go retire now. And <laughs> I just want to live in my okay, bungalow right. by the sea. Yeah, yeah. Play some music that's right. with right. my best friends. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. No. Well, but I mean, that's where like all the interconnectedness around owning your emotions, being embodied, not only for your own self-expression and wholeness but for our collective yeah. is so important and not just around s- sexual stuff but around all of the aspects of it yeah. including money yeah. Ah! yeah 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 and can we just talk about sex for a minute sure <laughs> we can talk about whatever we want <laughs> the reason why i want to talk about sex is because um the voice and sexuality are intricately connected they are it's like They're, second and fifth chakra exactly yeah? Yeah. So the you know if it just we just look at like cranial sacral right what happens in the cranium happens in the sacrum what happens in the sacrum happens in the cranium there's 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 a profound connection second chakra is unconscious creativity fifth chakra is conscious creativity and so second chakra is like right above your pubic bone pubic bone mm-hmm. okay and fifth chakra is your throat. is your throat right okay and the way the way sound is made is we take air into our lungs and it comes back through and it passes through the the trachea and the trachea has two strips of cartilage that open and close and they shape the air into a physical sound wave that is actually a physical thing right sound moves matter the very thin tissue on the inside of those vocal cords the vocal fold they're called vocal folds is made from the same part of the embryo as the genitals mm. so it's really literally genital tissue in our throats wow and you know self-expression is deeply tied to expression or freedom of our sexuality right so one of the only times that we give ourselves permission to make sound is when we're having sex and if you talk to any midwives they will say that making sound and being sexual in birth um, both those things tend to open the cervix and propitiate the birthing process, right? So women, when they're naturally giving birth, naturally make really intense sounds. Um, and I've been in places where they tried to shut that up and other places where it's, where it's like that's part of the process of birth is making guttural sounds and really intense primal sounds. And that's what we're afraid of, right? We're afraid of sexuality because it's too wild, too primal, too uncontrollable. Same, I mean, birth is the ultimate uncontrollable wild primal act. And so I'm starting to feel like the oppression, particularly of women's bodies and women's sexuality and queer sexuality and transsexuality and all, you know, all of our sexuality basically is, is directly tied to the silencing of our voices, that they're, they're intricately connected. And when we free our voices, we're actually, and we free our self-expression, we're actually freeing into the part of us that can enjoy the pleasure of, and the intensity and the power of our sexuality, which is also very sacred. So I don't, I wasn't raised Christian, thank the goddess, <laughs> because I know that in many, in many Christian religious and other Judeo-Christian religious constructs, there is a teaching about the, and even yogic context, actually, there's teaching about the body being dirty or something that we want to transcend, something we want to ascend out of. And I was never raised with that. And I'm really glad that I wasn't because I believe that our bodies, our sexuality, our self-expression are all 
very deeply spiritual when done in a context of care and kindness and and um, respect so that's what I have to say about sexuality no I mean that makes so much sense yes they're really, and I'm that actually, so I'm actually really interested in having those conversations with people. Again, one of the taboo things we don't talk about very often, although um, in off the mat we talk about sex a lot. <laughs> but I really feel like it's important for us to have those conversations to reclaim our sense of of the sacredness of our body, the sacredness of our sexuality, and our sensuality for that matter. And I really want to have that conversation in a yoga context because I think that. The only person I ever heard talking about sex and yoga was a male yoga teacher, and I didn't agree with what he was saying. So I actually feel like it's important for us to bring more and more of that in, in ways that aren't tainted by patriarchal ideas of women's bodies and sexuality. Mm-hmm. I actually want to unpack that a lot, because I feel like we're oh, all we need it. deeply entrenched in, in it. And and even you know the Instagram yoga culture, where there's so much like sexuality embedded in the in the practice itself and how many followers some of those girls in booty shorts have it's kind of like whoa we need to really look at this Mm -hmm. not that I think that bodies are shameful but I also feel like we need to look at uh, you know are you really being free with your body or are you are you actually covertly using the sexual obsession of our culture to sell something Mm -hmm. I think we really need to unpack that yeah I agree yeah do you talk about fifth second chakra stuff in your voice stuff oh yeah yeah big time big time i mean i feel like it's an untapped territory it's there's there's more i want to do more research about it i know that when we sing correctly that is to say without uh force with power with authenticity which is another whole thing that i talk about like how do you use your voice well and how do you unleash your voice without hurting yourself there's a way to do it there's some very easy physical techniques but when people get into that place there is this, there's a, there's a, a, sort of like a waking up of the whole energetic body, which to me is also precursor to sexuality, right? To be really fully in our sexuality, we have to actually wake up the full, the full instrument of our bodies, because sexuality is going to wake it up even more too, and, and allow us to get into more intense energy states and more subtle energy states, and that's what the voice does. The voice allows us when we move the voice in our bodies when we allow it to resonate inside of us we're waking up more intense and more subtle energy prana if you will life force chi and so the two things do that sexuality does that when it's done right sensuality voice does that when it's done right so there's got to be a way to work with both of them yeah and i'm excited to play with it yeah actually and it's so scary because so many people have trauma there's that too. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's so like going to the wound yeah. to heal it. So yeah. that's, I get yeah. it. And so yeah. many people, I mean, this is what, this is why. I mean, we're collectively is, traumatized. That's right. Just, this is, you can't not be collectively con- traumatized just with our advertising. I know. Walking down the street. I know. Yeah. And the fact that the, the fact this trial right now is about sex, sexual assault. It's about women's voices. The fact that, you know, these two women stopped the, the Republican senator in the elevator. The two women that stopped oh. in the elevator yesterday. Yeah. I can't remember. Flake. Flake. Yeah. And they and they told their story. And and you could feel that it was reverberating in him. You could if you watched the video, like it was reverberating in him, these women's And they're truth. like, Look at me. Yeah. This happened to me. Yeah. You're telling me it doesn't matter. Right. And yeah. their voices were shaking and yeah. Doctor Ford's voice was shaking. That's that's to me the epitome of bravery, right? Yes. To to speak when you know you're in danger. To speak 
truth, particularly about sexuality, because we're, again, we're taught, be silent, don't talk about it. And what's happening collectively as these women speak their truth is that everyone is feeling it, but also talking about it, right? A lot of women, my mom called me, she's like, do you have any stories you want to tell me? I have some stories I want to tell you, right? Like, so like, whoa. And one of the things that I talk about a lot in Voice of Change is, I had an ancestor, an aunt, a great aunt, my grandmother's sister, who I didn't know at all. She was a hermit, interestingly. Um, my grandmother brought her groceries once a week. She lived in a tiny little apartment. And um, one day I was going through the pictures and I came across a picture of her and she was this beautiful young woman. I was like, what was her story? And my grandmother said, ask her. So she was like 95 or six and I was taking her home from Christmas dinner one night and I started asking her about her life. And she was one of Martha Graham's first dancers. She was one of Arthur Miller's first dance instructors. She was on her way to becoming, you know, just a profound artist. And one day she went out with her fiance and he raped her. And she never told anyone. She went home, she broke up with him, went home and stopped her life and didn't tell anyone about this rape until she had told my grandmother and she was telling me at the age of 95. And it stopped her life. And I'm like, oh, I feel this in my bones. I feel this woman in my DNA. I feel her. And now I tell her story because me telling her story is hopefully sending some healing back to her because she couldn't tell that truth, you know? Mm -hmm. And the ways in which our ancestors couldn't live into their sexuality or t tell the truth about certain traumas that happened to them, like, we have to tell those stories. We have to tell them. And we're all feeling it. It's all coming up in us right now. And we have to... I think we have to keep talking about it to the point where men are like, we're sick of hearing about it. We're sick of hearing about it. And they already are, right? It's mm -hmm. like too bad. Mm -hmm. Too bad. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're sick of hearing about it. I don't care if some innocent men get thrown under the bus because innocent women have been thrown under the bus for a long time. Same thing with black and brown bodies and voices thrown under the bus. So we now is the reckoning. Now is the reckoning. Mm -hmm. And... I'm sorry if some people are going to have maybe some accusations thrown, thrown against them that are that are erroneous. Not to say that Kavanaugh's aren't, because I actually think he... I think that happened, and I think he thinks it didn't. And no one's talking about being blackout drunk, that you could do something like that and not remember. Mm -hmm. No one's talking about that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, I, I think it's fascinating what's happening right now, and really necessary. Yeah, I agree. Really necessary. Um, it's necessary for like telling the soil for creating something new. Yeah. Creating a new way. Yeah. And we may not see it in our lifetime. We, we may, may just, we may just won't. be in the trenches <laughs> yeah. doing this work. And um, that's why ritual is made, is necessary. Because if we're out there doing this work all the time and we're not seeing the results that we want to see or the results that maybe will come in 100, 200 years, we have to just kind of hold each other. We have to say, I see you, and I've got your back for a minute here. So how can we find Ritual with you? Um, I have a newsletter, mm -hmm. so SuzanneSterling.com. Um, mm -hmm. That's the best way to find out everything that I'm doing, because I do a lot of different things. So I couldn't say, you know, um, I only do this kind of thing. I have a newsletter, and that's the best way. There's also off the mat into the world.org, which is all the work that, that I'm doing with them. I do voice of change workshops a lot in a lot of different places. I also do an online one. I also have an online sacred leadership training and in-person workshops around that, which is like how to make ritual, basically. 
I also teach once a year, once or twice a year with a group of people um, called the Reclaiming Collective that, is, that has been doing ritual for social justice for a long time. And um, You do like a mentorship for a year or something? That's the sacred leadership okay. thing. We are launching the next in-person training. It's called Priestess Apprenticeship and Sacred Leadership in Portland in the spring. It's called Priestess Apprenticeship in and Sacred Leadership. And Sacred Leadership. Yeah. Okay. It, we have a Facebook page too. I'm doing that with a woman named Raven Stanfield who's an amazing um, acupuncturist. She runs Acupuncturist Without Borders. She's an incredible ritualist. I think that's it. What is your prayer or your wish for our country, the world, or the planet? Wow. Okay. My prayer is always, always, always about truth. And so I don't think that that prayer for truth is unconnected from um, a deep sense of source, love, God. I, I understand that different people have different truths, but I also believe that there are some truths that are universal and that when we do heal, the cycles of violence, the wounds that we've inherited culturally, that we'll get to that place of the universal truths um, and the universal sense of, of connection. My wish for all of us is that we understand that we're on this web, that we're interconnected, interdependent. We can't disconnect from source or from each other. Every single time one of us wakes up, we all feel it. Every single time one of us is harmed or harms, we feel it. And so I want us to have a visceral experience of that interconnectedness, that interdependence, so that we get clear that we're not alone, that we need each other to do this work, that we're always being held, and that we always have an opportunity to hold. And I, I especially want that for our country because I feel like what's happening right now is a lot of what's been under the surface is rising to the surface, and I don't think that's a bad thing, but we really need to meet it. We really need to meet it, and I want us to meet it together. And my, my hope for this world is that we really get that there, we're on this precious planet, there's limited resources. We have very little time left to turn it around in terms of the kind of destruction that's going on. And that if we don't wake up to the global culture that we are and learn how to communicate and learn how to care for each other, um, that we will destroy something that's really, really precious. So I, my prayer for us is that we, that we feel that. Yeah, that we feel that. And my prayer for us is also that we remember that life is, is art and art is life. And life is art and art is life. <laughs> and my tattoo says that. Art is life is <laughs> That's a good mantra. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for the work you've been doing yeah. for so long. Yeah. And thank you for so many lives that you've impacted. Mm -hmm. And having this conversation with me. Mm -hmm. It's my pleasure. And staying focused. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for doing the work you're doing. Thank you for keeping the voices heard. I hope it works really well and keeps going out into the world and in its ripples. The voice has power. It really does. It really does.
Thank you so much for listening. Again, that was Suzanne Sterling. Go to SuzanneSterling.com to learn more about how to participate in her transformational programs. This week, the call to action is to ponder and ask ourselves, how can I be more self-expressed? Where do I feel the most free? Where do I feel the most restrained? What fear am I willing to face to create a new level of freedom, not only for myself, but for others? Then share it with someone you trust and take the next brave step. If you have a story to share or an experience that helped you find your voice, I'd love to hear from you. Go to she'sheard.com to keep in touch and learn of more opportunities to connect. And tune into the next episode. More inspiration, wisdom, and insight is on the way. Until next time, standing in our collective liberation, be well.